What's up, everybody? My name is Matt James, and welcome to Generation Bitcoin. Today, I'm here with Erica Stamford. How are you doing today, Erica? Hey, good. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, thanks for coming on. So you're the author of Crypto Wars, Faked Deaths, Missing Billions, and Industry Disruption. Founder of the Crypto Curry Club, UK's leading community for networking and educational events in the crypto space. You're the head of marketing and partnerships at Cent Finance, which is a mobile crypto wallet. So clearly you're fully submerged in the crypto space as shown through all this involvement. Can you go over a little bit about your story and what led you to get involved in the crypto space and why did crypto appeal to you? Yeah, sure. So I, I first heard about crypto early 2017, which was, you know, quite quite late by some standards, but a friend told me about it and just said, you know, I should go, I should go look into it. They, they thought I'd be interested to hear about it. So um, I, I started looking into it and I was like, you know, this is super cool. And just, just sort of went a little bit geek mode, just read everything I could, started playing around and uh, and so forth. I think what had really sparked my, my interest, so you know, years before that, I'd spent a year abroad living in, in Buenos Aires as part of my, my university degree. So it was sort of, sort of a year abroad to, to work a bit there and, and learn Spanish and so forth. And and this was in 2008, so right during sort of economic situation. So you had loads of people there, I mean, who lost life savings due to the economic situation there. You had, you know, there was worries about inflation. People didn't trust banks. People didn't trust the government. And the the first sort of lesson I learned when I moved there, I made some friends pretty quickly and and was just hanging out with some of the locals. And they, they didn't keep money in banks the minute they got paid they 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 converted their their pay into to to pesos into the sort of the physical notes and cashed it out and converted it straight into euros and dollars and and kept sort of physical euro and dollar notes in their flats and and houses just in safes and that was just sort of the standard the the standard protocol because they just didn't trust banks didn't trust the government And, and that's just how you know, that, that was sort of how they kept anything other than the money that they just needed for sort of day-to-day local expenses. And the summer before that, I'd, I'd traveled. I used to just go to, to Latin America whenever I could in the summers just to, to get away from the UK. And the summer before that, I'd been traveling around Guatemala just, just by myself. And it wasn't the safest place at the time. I got mugged like four times in a row. So I had to spend the rest of the summer, you know, with, with every credit card I, and, you know, traveler's checks and whatever I'd left and taken with me, that they'd all been stolen, you know, one after one after the other. So the only way I, I could get money at the time, and this was 2007, so before Bitcoin was, was ever sort of invented, the only way I could get money was going to, to the a Western Union, which is, oh is a remittance center. And, you know, I'd never used one of those before. So I had to walk like miles to this Western Union center and, and call my dad in England. And, you know, kindly, he, he went to the local town the next day. So he had to drive into town and, and send me money via Western Union. And, you know, it cost 14%. To, to get me that money wow. and it took three days to arrive so then you know three days later I had to walk back to the Western Union and, and pick up cash and you know everything about it was just just so 
you know, so sort of crazy, you know, paying 14% just to get your own money. That That's high by any definition of the word. And waiting three days when they could have done it quicker had they really wanted to. But, you know, they, they like to hold on to these things. And, and then getting cash. And this was in a place where I'd already had, you know, every card and everything I'd already had stolen. So walking around with, with cash every time you had to do it wasn't ideal. And that was the only way you could get money. And that had really stayed with me. Because, you know, for me, it was a summer abroad and experience. I was in a, I was a student. Dad, you know, was perfectly happy to oblige by sort of going to town and and sending me money, which was, you know, really kind of him. But it was it was just really it's a difficult way of getting money. It's expensive and it's it's not necessarily safe. And that was the only way you could get money there. And that had, had stuck with me because you you read a little bit about it. You've got a third of the world's population don't have access to, to banking, i.e. Where, where that is, the, you know, a, a staple where you've got family members living abroad or working remotely and so forth. And the only way they can get money home is by using these remittance companies, which charge an absolute fortune and, and, and cause delays and aren't always safe. And so you've got like 2.5 billion people in the world who often have to use these these companies and, and pay up to 30% of, of their income just to get money from A to B. And, you know, the average is 7%. But it's still crazy high. So when I heard about crypto and, you know, not that the user experience of crypto, at least not in 2017, was, was easy by any definition of the word, and not that it was always safe and, you know, sending Bitcoin and some of the digital currencies isn't exactly lightning fast or, or or totally free. But it was still so much quicker and, and, and faster and easier. And you can see exactly that it arrives and you've just got so much more control over the situation. So that had really stuck with me, like yeah. how much easier it was than basically that my my previous experiences of sending money abroad and you've got control over it and you can send it quickly so I was just playing around with it and it was just super super interested in how it could work because I could just see the potential for for, for crypto you know more in, in places where it's, it's one thing in London for example where you can just tap a card or I mean now we've got Apple Pay and then it's just super easy to send money but it's yeah. not always been easy to send money abroad so yeah I, I was just I could see the potential in these cases. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I understand coming from having to use Western Union, that's uh, very inefficient. Right. And uh, Bitcoin definitely solves that. All right. Well, I want to start getting into your book a little bit. So you're the author of Crypto Wars, which is about the many scams in crypto. And there's a lot of them. So first, I, I want to define the terms because I think that's really important. There's a lot of disagreement because of differing definitions. And, you know, people are calling everything a scam that they don't like. And that's a little extreme. Mm -hmm. You know, many words, I think, exist on a spectrum, right? There's decentralized, which is on a spectrum, in my opinion. There's varying levels of decentralization. You can't just say, this thing is decentralized, this thing is not. So according to the the dictionary, a scam is a, a dishonest scheme or a fraud. And a fraud is a wrongful or criminal deception intended to result in financial or personal gain. So I think the keywords there are dishonest and deception. So a lot of people, you know, like I was saying, are quick to call things a scam. But do you think, you know, the word scam is, you know, on a spectrum like that? Or do you have like a, a pretty, pretty clear definition of what you would 
what you would consider a scam and, and what you would not, in your opinion? I, I, I yeah, it, it, you know, it's, it's a good question, and I'm glad you raise it. And I, I, I think there's a few points to that in 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 the crypto space, not not only in the crypto space, but you you see sort of the diehard fundamental groups where you've got the Bitcoin maximalists, and to them every altcoin is a scam or the US dollar is a scam or, you know, I've heard sort of the, the Ethereum people go, well, you know, Bitcoin cash is a scam or this is a scam or that is a scam or the US dollar is a scam. Or... So the, I, I, I'd say that, you know, I, I, did, I didn't have this opinion until I sort of really got into the real scams, sort of into looking the, mm-hmm. at the real scam side of it. But that really doesn't help because anyone that that even has two minutes of exposure to crypto will see this is a scam that is a scam and you've got all these accusations that, that things are a scam bandied about so that when somebody is trying to warn groups and and communities that something really is a scam where you know where, where it's an actual scam where this is a certified ponzi scheme there's nothing good behind it. This isn't Bitcoin we're talking about. This isn't the dollar we're talking about. This is a full-blown Ponzi scheme we're talking about. People don't listen and people don't believe them that it's a scam because then the scammers will know exactly how to play that because they'll say, well, you've got all the haters. You've got people calling Bitcoin a scam, people calling the dollar a scam, people calling Ethereum a scam. So it's just the haters. And and it just weakens any argument against the actual scam. So I think that's just sort of an, a personal opinion on the side that where you've got people calling projects that are legitimate, that aren't intending to sort of part everyone from their money, where, okay, maybe they don't agree with everything of the politics or so forth, but where it isn't a full-blown scam, where you've got people calling everything else a scam, that doesn't help. And then I think especially in, in crypto, You've got, and, and more so going back a couple of years, but specifically, I'd say sort of during the whole ICO boom, when you're talking about 2016 to 2018, for the most part, you had thousands of, of new crypto projects just, just oh, yeah. being sprung up out of thin air. And, 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 you know, it was a total bubble by any definition of, of the word, really. And I, I think there it is, it, it is a real, sliding scale spectrum because within those thousands of crypto projects you had some that were really cool they're really good they're still going today their investors have done well they're legitimate projects working really hard and have done raised money in in using an ico and have put that to good and now have real good thriving companies doing really cool stuff and then on the other end of the spectrum you've got ones that were clearly just Ponzo schemes and scams from the start and and they've now been ruled to be that and you know many of them were literally run by organized crime and and sort of organized criminals and they knew exactly what they were doing and their intention from day one was to build something up and make it look really good and get enough money and then to exit scam or to to run it as a Ponzo scheme where so from where day one it was a scam from the start but then you've got everything in between and, and you know i've seen every crazy story and you must have seen every crazy story too everything from some where you know it really looks like their intention was good and then you've got you've got every type of thing maybe their intention was good and then they raised money 
and they've never seen so much money before and they didn't know what to do with it. And maybe they weren't expecting to raise their money. And they put together a white paper that they didn't actually know what that meant and they didn't know what to do. So they spent the money on... Right, yeah. So you you had sort of every range in, in that where some were just opportunistic and should never have really been given the opportunity to raise money. And had they gone to banks or to to VCs or to angels or even to friends and families, they would have never have raised the money. So they were just useless projects from the start. Some raised money from in an ICO, but because of the market or because they could never get banking or because they raised it in ETH and then ETH crashed, they lost like 90% of what they'd raised. And so never really did anything with it and they never cashed out in time or because of regulations kicked in or market circumstances. So there's there's lots of reasons why some of these projects, I I would say, weren't scams. And, and this is before there was regulation. So, yes, one could argue that they could have maybe done more, but, you know, that they were hit by very things which or maybe just incompetence, which means they still lost all of their investors' money. And then there were some that sort of became scams that, that maybe started off as good and, and raised money, and then they didn't know what to do with it. So they just spent the money on, some of the ICOs just spent the money on prostitutes or on nice cars or nice villas instead. And, yeah. you know, I, I, I think it's just a real spectrum. But the, the reality is, if you, if you sort of take a, a step back from that period, 98% of those projects either were scams or lost all of their investors' money. That's sort of the official, I think it was the SEC ruling. So 98% yeah. of them, if you're an investor in those projects, it's basically the same thing. And and if you invested $100 and it was a scam or they were incompetent or they lost the money or they were hacked because they didn't have enough security or they didn't take the measures and cash out and for whatever reason, they lo- they ended up losing the money in 98% of the cases, you still lost your money. So I, I, I do think it's a sliding scale. I, I'd say that probably for the majority of projects, I don't think one can tarnish the brush of, of scammer so much as opportunistic with bad business plan that probably shouldn't have been able to go ahead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that's what I tell people, you know, when, when, they get, when they're getting into the space that you really got to be careful, you know, 99% of these are, you know, full out scams or they, you know, don't have a working product and never will. Or, you know, a lot of them make some crazy promises and they just use all these buzzwords to think that to make their investors think that they're, they're going to go somewhere with this and that they're the future. But a lot of them don't even, don't even deliver on what they, you know, what they say. So yeah. it's, 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 it's pretty crazy out there. So what, what are the most upsetting or absurd, like, scams or hacks that you've heard of that you can think of or are there some that come to mind that you're just like this one was yeah. crazy or anything like that I, I mean the the worst ones that 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 affect the most amount of people for me are the ones that use multi-level marketing so you, you've got some scams where they they ad you know they, they advertise themselves people fall for them but individuals fall for them and, and then it's sort of one person at a time that's being affected but where I mean, the, the, the multi-level marketing, just as a concept, it's, it's legal, more or less, in, in most places. And I, I would argue the fact that it's legal is, is utterly crazy. And you've got statistics that something like 99% of people who get involved in multi-level marketing lose all their money. It, it's a sort of marketing 
reward structure where you get really high incentive payments and commission payments for everyone that you bring in to, to buy something. And it's legal if you're selling a real life product. And OneCoin, which is now thought to be the biggest crypto scam, it's now estimated that they bought in about $25 billion. And it's, it's, you know, it's crazy. There's people who ran it in prison. They're looking for the founder. It's been declared since 2017 to be a scam and it's still going on. And that was the first crypto project that combined the concept of investing in crypto, albeit in that particular case, they never actually had a cryptocurrency. They never had a blockchain. It was never actually a cryptocurrency to invest in. It was a scam from the start. But they, they combined the concept of invest in this digital money and you'll get rich quick with multi-level marketing. And it went absolutely viral to this day you've still got people promoting one coin and and it spread really really fast because they had this sort of whole network this whole team of experience of the world's best multi-level marketers come in who already had these massive teams and massive downlines to sell to and they just went in and they were paying huge commissions to everybody who bought someone in new to invest and to invest the promise was or well, if you just buy this package, you'll get this amount of crypto coins and you'll get more of them and they'll double and they'll double in value and so forth. So if you just invest in this package of crypto coins now, now it's worth X and within a few months it will be worth Y and you'll just suddenly get rich quick and it'll be really, really easy. But the problem is and why why it's so bad and why it gets so big and affects so many people and why I find it quite sad, it is because as with any you know good effective Ponzo scheme, the first people who invest get paid out. So if you're one of the early people to invest, you invest your money and you get your money back and you get your returns back. So it looks good. So why it got so big is because, A, they had this massive professional structure in place with, with people who are really experienced at marketing itself and promoting this project to get maximum amount of people in. But then also p people would fall for it. Innocent people, normal, normal people would, would invest their money and would get their money back. And they thought this was good. So these people who are sort of victims of the scam were actually initially profiting from it and doing well. And because it looked good, they believed it. So they'd go to the, all of their friends and their families and their communities and say, hey, you've got this thing. It's good. Invest your money and you'll get your money back and you do well and you'll make money. So where they got so bad is, is that they had these, these really good commissions. And of course, people wanted everyone to invest because they got good commissions for it. But also it wasn't the scammers. It wasn't only the scammer selling the product. It was normal people who had fallen for it, who were then going to, to their friends, to their families, to the whole community. You had entire religious leaders going to all of their congregations promoting it. You've got community leaders promoting it to their communities. You had people going around villages in, in around the entire world promoting this scam. And and where it why it got so big and where I find it quite sad is of course some of these people knew exactly what they were doing. And, and were only interested in the commission payers and knew to leave before it was sort of declared as being a scam. But then also you've got lots of innocent people, lots of just normal people who'd fallen for it, who then got their friends and their families to invest and they got their parents to invest. And, you know, often people invested everything they had, sold their houses, sold their livestock because they were believing not only the project, but they were believing their friend or their, their son or their parent or so forth or somebody that they knew and trusted. So they, they just, spread like wildfire because of this multi-level marketing setup where you had sort of the victims doing the selling 
for them. So not only did a lot of the victims lose their own money, but they now feel awful because they lost their friends' money, they lost their family's money, they invested their parents' money and so forth. So you've got to feel for a lot of these people who feel really bad because they were the ones promoting the the scams. And of course, the, the, the rig leaders, the the, the people driving the multi-level marketing and then driving the whole thing profited hugely from it. But again, the people sort of at the bottom of the pyramid that was the majority ended up losing loads of money and, and just money they really couldn't afford to, to lose. So I, I think they're the worst. And OneCoin started it. But as with any sort of good scam network, scams copy each other. You've got ringleaders from the scams going, jumping from scam to scam. They leave one scam before it's revealed to be a scam and go on to the next so they get an early so they, they they do well. So you've got people passing on the sort of their accumulated experience and their knowledge and what technology to use and how to how to fool the most people. So you've got ringleaders jumping from scam to scam and scams end up copying each other. So you've now got this whole series of, of massive crypto Ponzi schemes using multi-level marketing and using the exact same technique. So they spread like wildfire and scams that start in london or start in europe they're affecting people all over africa all over asia all around the world because they just spread so quickly using this technique Mm -hmm. yeah yeah you're right it's really a sad thing there's so many people that you know got involved and they thought they were doing a good thing and they just didn't understand it so really it's really important to uh do your do your due diligence and whatnot and, and of course, the scams aren't targeting people who would who would think to do the due diligence. They're deliberately going after, yeah, sort of yeah, exactly. you know, non-crypto experts and so forth. So yeah, exactly. Yeah, but one of the biggest scams I remember was called BitConnect, and it was pretty similar. Where mm-hmm. you know there was multi-level marketing involved, and everyone was you know getting people on board by enticing them, thinking they're gonna get rich quick and all of that. So that's the one that, that comes in my my head. I remember yeah. they, they definitely had a several billion dollar market cap as well. But mm-hmm. so what are some of the, the red flags uh, and things to look for that you would recommend others to look for before investing in a, in a crypto red flags and, mm-hmm. and any any due diligence aspects that needs to be done? I mean, I definitely say before even thinking about investing, do do a, a million years worth of research. It, it, it's and and this is one of the the things that it, it it's really easy to say. Well, if a project promises guaranteed returns or or says if you invest in this, you're guaranteed to get this, then it's a scam. And you know, ninety nine point nine 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 percent of the time, it will be a scam. But you've now got DeFi projects and so forth doing that, where you've got the the, the interest from staking and without needing to go into that and i I, i'd say that is one of the things to look look out for if a project saying well send us your money a in in crypto once you've sent your crypto you've sent your crypto there's no reverse button there's no refund button there's no i made a mistake can i have my money back button once you've sent your crypto you've sent your crypto and if if the recipient is a scammer they're not just going to refund you your money yeah so I, you know, I think first things first, a, a lot of the scams revolve around getting people to, to convert their cash into to crypto and then sending their crypto somewhere. So, of course, if you if you hold cryptocurrency, there's perfectly secure ways of, of storing it. But that, that 
doesn't work out for the scammers. So they'll get you to send your crypto to an exchange and they'll say, well, we've got this exchange. We'll, we'll make it cheaper for you or we'll store your crypto more securely for you or it'll be easier for you. So there's been a whole series of these crypto exchanges exit scamming because all they need to do is, is convince people to send them their crypto or send them their Bitcoin. Uh, and then once they've got enough, they exit scam. And there's been some some wallets and some crypto projects using that tactic or some of the Ponzi schemes will, will make all sorts of claims like, like with OneCoin they, they invented that they had this cryptocurrency and that you're going to get more quantity and it's going to go up in value and some of them will use well we've got this trading bot we've got this trading algorithm so if you just send us your crypto we'll trade it for you and then you'll get more back or you know, don't don't worry about mining your own crypto. That's far too difficult. Mining Bitcoin is really difficult and you've got to have all this expensive equipment hmm. and it's really hot and it's really messy. So if you just send us your Bitcoin, we'll buy the mining equipment and we'll do all of that for you and we'll send you back a guaranteed profit. And so you've got all of these scams involve getting people to send them their crypto under various pretenses. Now, of course, in the, in the, the big mining one, they... The, the biggest scam there was bought in 722 million. It was called Bitcoin Network. And they never owned any mining equipment. It's, it's now thought they released all of these videos showing, well, we've got all this Bitcoin mining equipment. And then it was a, a mining facility, you know, real one in Iceland that eventually came out and were like, hey, this is our video of our equipment and they've never had any affiliation. So anything that gets you to send your crypto to somewhere be extra, 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 super cautious because once you send the transaction, you're not going to get your money back if you sent it to a bad address or to a scam or so forth. And that's really how they how they play. And and then think the problem is scams now are getting really clever. They're getting really sophisticated. So if you remember BitConnect from from I think 2016, from memory, it launched, and you had people quite early on saying this is a Ponzi scheme. If it's promising that you get I think 1% or a day, then it can only possibly be a Ponzi scheme. And they didn't really yes. give a lot of information. They said, well, they've got this trading bot. They didn't say how it worked. They didn't give any proof of it working. So if you take a step back and think just a little bit logically, just when looking at BitConnect, well, you've got banks and hedge funds around the world and you've got billionaires who have their own funds who have access to the absolute best software and best algorithms and best traders and, and that money can buy and they can't guarantee that type of return so if you've got somebody who's got this absolutely incredible trading algorithm why would they want to share it when there's only ever so much Bitcoin in the world? It's not like Bitcoin is this infinite resource. There's only ever so much Bitcoin in the world. It can only ever be traded so much. So if you've got this incredible trading algorithm, why would they want to be sharing it? So with, with Bitcoin, for example, if you take a step back, there were already warning signs. There were already people giving these, these warning signs and they didn't give much information. There was no proof on their website or anywhere else of how it worked. So to a lot of people, at least, it wasn't a massive surprise when it collapsed and when it was really shown to be a Ponzo scheme. That the problem is now scams are much better in, in many ways. They have much more sophisticated looking websites. And the problem is now they give all of what is in inverted commas proof. They'll say, well, so-and-so is on our team. 
we've got partnerships with such and such companies, we've got such and such companies as our clients, we're regulated by so-and-so country, we're going to be listed on whatever stock exchange, you know, we, we've got Visa cards or MasterCards that we've, we're in partnership with, and we're going to issue them to all of our users. So they make all of this proof, and they put all of these testimonials and reviews and everything on their websites and on social media. And it looks really good. So anybody looking on without doing a lot of checks would think, well, if they've got these partnerships and they've got these companies, clients, and they've got these reviews, it must be good. But the scams don't worry about the consequences of doing that. They're not regulated by any of these things. They're not going to be listed on London or whatever stock exchange. So they don't have these partnerships with Visa and MasterCard. They don't have any of these companies as clients. The testimonials are faked or bought. But they look yeah. good. So the scams are getting quite hard to tell. So what I would really say is is to really dig deep if there's anything that looks good or makes any such claims it is possible to do the research for example if, if this project has partnered with whatever the company go ask that company or go look at what 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 statements that company has released or if they list anybody that's associated with it go look on their linkedin contact them so it, it, it does require doing a lot of research and, and my my gut instinct especially after doing the book is you know for for the vast majority of things, just don't even bother researching. Just run a million miles because in in ninety nine percent of the time, it probably isn't going to be in in your best interests yeah. to to go anywhere near it. So I you know it it I, I would just say just do an awful lot of research, and that really m- might mean reaching out to companies or, or questioning people and so forth to to doubly check that all of those claims are accurate and. I mean, maybe this is a little bit harsh, but in my experience, at least, if if one claim isn't found to be true, if one claim is is found to have been made up or exaggerated, then there's a fair assumption that that's true for every other claim that that project makes. Yeah, yeah, I agree. That that reminds me, I I remember back in 2017 that I saw this post that kind of analyzed a few of the, the ICOs that came out and showed all of their websites and all of them i don't know how many there were like five or ten of them they were using a straight up copy of each other's website and there were just little changes here and there to the website but they all they all use the buzzwords you know we use ai algorithms and big data and you know all, all the buzzwords that that you need to see so Oh, and you touched on the white papers being copied, and 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 they literally yep. were. They they there these freelancers popping up everywhere, claiming to be experts, and and you know some of them were literally copied and pasted word for word, just changing the name. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy that they get away with all that. So, yeah, you know what they say: not your keys, not your crypto, right? So. I, I really advocate right. for holding your own crypto. And like you were saying, whenever people, you know, ask you to send your crypto over, be very wary of that. So, so moving forward, do you support more regulation in this space? Do you think that's the, the solution to this? Or do you think, uh, is there another solution? How can we move forward and, you know, lower the amount of scams and, and help prevent, you know, all these people from getting scammed out of their money? Yeah, I I do think more regulation is is needed. I know that's a slightly controversial opinion, but but I I do I, I think for a few reasons, and 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 you've got to be careful with regulation because there's always a risk that it just totally hinders or stops anything resembling innovation. And then to a degree, we're seeing that already in the UK, 
the regulation's been so slow. There's already some of the, the biggest and most innovative companies leaving the UK now and, and going to countries where they think they, they stand a chance of, of getting regulated and, and progressing things forward. And those are the good companies that are also actively trying to get regulated. So there's a balance in that, but I, I do think it's needed. And for the main reason, especially with, with scams, that there's it's so easy at the moment. And we, we've seen it. So There's been so many crypto scams, and they're so big, and they're so brazen, and they're still going on, and they're still literally affecting millions of people and, and taking billions of, of dollars in some cases. And the problem is at the moment, for scams, it's really easy to, to make all of these claims because there's nothing stopping them. And how do you... How can you prove otherwise? Whereas I think if there were regulation and it were, you know, sort of faster and more efficient and then there were a blue, like almost like a sort of a blue tick of approval on, on, on companies that aren't scams, I think that would make it a lot harder for the scams to make a lot of their claims that they're making. Because if for anyone could then question, well, why don't you have this blue tick of approval for, for the scam? So I do think that would really make people question scams more and and and, and would I, I imagine get rid of a, a number of the scams and then of course you've got the problem i had a story recently and i don't remember the name of it but there was one scam it there was a company that had i think it was like fta registered i don't even remember it was a crypto scam or not and it's one of these stories you get told so you, I, I i can't vouch for it but there was a company that was fta registered that had stopped trading or something so there's this sort of scam sort of whole organization company bought that company so that they could link directly to that because on their website they had this is FCA registered. So they bought the company to use that site so that they could say, well, look, we're FCA registered. If you go on the FCA website, you can see our name because it was a scam that had bought the company that had been registered. So, you know, there's still, if, if, if people want to scam, you know, a lot of these now are run by organized crime that have literally have the resources to do whatever they want. Mm-hmm. They're, they're still going to get a, around it. But I do think that having regulation to, to help the, the good projects stand out would, would really put a question mark on, on the scams and, and how they can continue going as big as they are when they don't have that. And at the moment, this, this regulation is slow. And, you know, I think for various reasons, partly because it's such a new technology that's just evolving so fast. But then we've also had to have the massive pandemic in, in the UK. We've had Brexit. So th- there's been other focuses. But I, I do think have, having uh, having regulation into the space would definitely help get rid of a lot of the scams, provided the regulation yeah. still lets innovation happen without totally stamping it all out yeah yeah hopefully hopefully we can get something to to help lower the amount of crypto scams i know the government is pretty slow to act just in general but we'll see how that all plays out hopefully over time the market matures and people become a little more smarter and don't fall for all these scams is what i'm hoping so hopefully that will happen over time but I think it's worth noting that there's more scams now and they're getting worse and they're getting smarter. And that isn't really anything to do with, with crypto. I mean, they're, they're taking advantage of the space because crypto is so new and it's misunderstood and it's seen as doing digital money that can go up in value. And because so many of the early projects have gone up hugely in value and people have done well, the scams play on that because they play on people's desire to 
to get rich quick and and to make the same returns themselves. But I, I do think it is worth noting that the, the scams, I don't think it's a crypto problem. I think it's more scammers taking advantage of the, the excitement around the crypto space. But yep. scams in general have gone up. Cybercrime has gone up. Ransom have gone up. Hack hacks have gone up. There's, you know, just, I mean, for example, if I just look at my parents, every day they get a couple phone calls or emails or, or whatever from all, all sorts of things, from the phone line, from ATMLC, whatever. It's it's all scams. There's scams in every type of way and space that's also entirely unrelated to crypto. But I do think crypto, because it's it, because of the hype and because of the potential that, that people have done well, it really does play on, on people's desire. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like, you know, it always happens throughout history whenever there's a new piece of technology, whether that be the internet, right. you know, there's a lot of scams around that space because people know this is the future, but they don't know, you know, how exactly it'll play out and, you know, who's going to be the winner, but they they just throw their money at all these companies. And crypto, you know, being the transactions being you know, final settlement, you send the money and it's, and it's done. You can't mm -hmm. reverse it. It's kind of a prime, you know, candidate for, for all these scam scammers. So, but you are right. You know, there's right. scams in, in all industries. Yeah. It, it, it's a problem because in, in the space, it makes Bitcoin look really bad because you get people. And for example, in the insurance space, with all the cyber crime now, you, you've got insurance people saying, wow, you know, it's all the, it's all of the Bitcoin. Because uh, the, the, the hackers demand Bitcoin and they blame Bitcoin, for example. And it's, the, the problem is that Bitcoin is it's the same as blaming the yeah. tulips for the, 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 the tulip sort of bubble. The, the, yeah. the problem isn't Bitcoin by any definition of the word, but you know, it, it, it doesn't help, uh, I'd say, the ecosystem grow whilst the, the amount of scams that there are are, are yeah. still going on. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Segwaying over to Bitcoin, this podcast is called Generation Bitcoin. So I want to talk a little bit <laughs> about that. You know, Bitcoin's obviously not a scam, right? It's already doing what it's supposed to. It's a very secure, decentralized, you know, unstoppable store value base layer that for a new financial system that people are able to use and store their value. They're able to, you know, escape tyranny, escape hyperinflation. You know, it's a consensus, consensus protocol that enforces that hard cap of 21 million Bitcoin. And it's the soundest and hardest money that we've ever come across. So, and what I really love about Bitcoin is, you know, it, it doesn't have to do anything else in the future. You know, all these altcoins, you're speculating on some use case that they may, you know, fulfill in the future. But with Bitcoin, you know, all it has to do is continue operating as it has been for years. So with all these other, you know, speculative out, you know, altcoins, I, I don't like to recommend them to people. So Bitcoin's already fulfilling it. the biggest use case, you know, in, in the world, in my opinion, which is a new form of worldwide money that's open to anybody. So that's kind of my take. You know, I, I'm sure, you know, I'm a Bitcoin bull, but what, what do you think about Bitcoin? Do you have any yourself? And if you do, you know, why do you think it's a, a good investment? I, I don't have any, but I do. I, I'm sort of with you on Bitcoin. And, and I think you know what? What's interesting in Bitcoin is a. It was. It was like you say. It's the first thing that that that's done a lot of of, of what you say. I mean, there've been various attempts at, at creating digital money that you could just send sort of from A to A to B pair to pair before. 
that hadn't worked for various reasons, and Bitcoin is the first to 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 do that. And you know that there's arguments about efficiency and so forth, but equally you've got a, a community and things are changing and and, and technology is, is changing. So you know I I do you know it's it's just even as a, a sort of a concept, it's just sort of stepping back from the investment side, but just from what Bitcoin, how it was created, what it's created to, how it's being used. You know what's really interesting is how much noise it's it's managed to to make just you've got traditional finance you've got traditional banking questioning things you've got payments companies setting up digital assets divisions because of the threat of of crypto you've got remittance companies in some cases now lowering their fees because people have cottoned on that they don't need to use remittance companies anymore you've got people giving getting digital wallets all around the world and you know traditionally to 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 get money digitally you have to have a bank account which is great for some people it's not great for about 2.5 billion people around the world who can't get bank accounts basically because people in those areas don't earn enough money for traditional banks to go to those areas to serve them because they don't deem it economically viable whereas with with bitcoin all you need is access to the internet or access to a smartphone and you can create a wallet basically for free and, and, and store money digitally and and send money um to each other and again there's this arguments about the cost of sending bitcoin it's better than western union it's better than the west the 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 remittance companies by by any definition of the word in terms of cost in terms of ease in terms of you know maybe having to walk to an office and then waiting three days and then and then getting back cash so you've got a load of incredible use cases and even if it's you know, one of the things I was looking into when, when looking at the book, places like Venezuela, and, you know, it's, it, this is true for many countries in the world. The main users of Bitcoin, you, you'd think, would be somewhere like the UK or like the States or, or the places with the biggest population, and it isn't. The main countries that use Bitcoin are, are those with the, the worst economies, those with inflation, those where, where people don't trust don't trust sort of banks and governments and for for various reasons and you know it's it that that i found was incredible because you you've got people interested in, in venezuela I'll just use that as an example because that's just what i was researching but who literally use bitcoin as a lifeline because they can't get the, the dollar if they if they hold money in their local currency in the peso it just gets evaporated just like that because of hyperinflation so you've got people literally using bitcoin as a lifeline and you've got countries where governments don't allow you to convert into other currencies not because it's in your best interest not to be allowed to do that but because they want to hold the power and they want to to keep control but that means that people would literally just lose all of their money and in some cases not even be able to eat by keeping money in their local currency because hyperinflation is so crazy whereas bitcoin you can send it across borders it sort of bypasses the, the politics so yeah, I, I, I just think there's so many incredible arguments for Bitcoin, you know, sort of taking aside the investment argument. I'm not really interested in that. But I think what it has done is is basically just shaken up how the world has to look at, at, at money. And where you've got some of the, the big just remittance companies, just because I think they're barbaric, but where you've got remittance companies, they would have continued working exactly as they always did had had crypto not come about 
and indicate yes in Kenya you've got M-Pesa and that's you know that that works and you've now got about 80 percent of the population use M-Pesa which is sending mobile phone minutes to each other as, as a, a digital currency because of sort of the, the the lack of banking over there but had had Bitcoin not come about you'd still have the status quo would be pretty much unchanged and now you've got so many changes being made in remittance companies having to lower their fees to compete and and you've just got all of these the possible questions i mean it's looking at for example just the facebook's dm do i think that's the ultimate best potential for crypto no not by any definition of the word but it, it the concept is there where you've, you've got basically a stable version of Bitcoin that you can send money from A to B, from person to person, without having to pay huge transaction fees or without having to wait three days. So I think, you know, a lot of people are quite against Facebook getting into that. I think it's great because Facebook will have the, the power to sort of barge down the, the sort of the regulatory doors and the political doors. And then once they've managed to do that, then other other potentials will manage to to do so much easier. So I I yeah I I think there's so much phenomenal change that Bitcoin has brought about just by sort of waving its little red flag at at, at traditional finance who are then seeing the potential that people can just send money from A to B and are having to react just because they can't. I think they've realised now that they can't stop it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's definitely very very disruptive to many many businesses, and uh, it's really. Really fun to watch how it plays out because Bitcoin is such a such a new piece of technology and it's forcing all those companies to you know compete with Bitcoin and you know you really you really can't in the end it's uh, superior money in my opinion it it really is uh, doing a lot for human rights as you were saying too people in El Salvador you know Bitcoin is and Venezuela Bitcoin is really hope and you know freedom money to to those people because they don't. Yeah. You know, they don't have the luxury of investing in assets and stocks, real estate. They don't they don't have any any way to store their value. So they're literally being yeah. stolen from through their fiat currency, which is being hyperinflated. And you know, Bitcoin finally gives them an alternative to to get yeah. out of their situation. No, to- totally. And and if you look now at who's buying Bitcoin. It, it's younger people, it's, it's, it's millennials. And I think it's people now who are seeing, especially with Corona, that, you know, inflation happens, governments print money, you can't necessarily trust governments, you can't necessarily trust banks. And, and these are people who realize that the way things are, if, if they go to uni and get a good job and, and, you know, get a good job and work hard in, in whole areas, they will never be able to buy their own house. Uh, that's the reality now for for young people just because of of costs and inflation and so forth and they realize that if they're renting rent gets more expensive more quickly then job salaries go up and 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 you've got young people now who are really aware of of sort of the, the the failings of of just printing money without end yeah yeah, it really gives people a you know a life raft, so to say, so something that they can escape their situation and really better their lives. So I think it's important that they have this this tool in order to to do that. So I'm sure you know El Salvador made it a legal tender recently, requiring all businesses to accept it as payment via the Lightning Network, which is a second layer solution on top of Bitcoin, and it actually allows for instant 
and nearly fee-free transactions, which is really cool. They're they're using it to, you know, purchase groceries at the grocery store or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they don't they don't actually have a, a currency locally, so they're able to use Bitcoin. And as long as you have a smartphone, you can, you know, scan a code and it's they get the money right. pretty much instantly. So do you think that that's a good that's a good step forward for Bitcoin? And where do you think this will lead to? Do you think more people, more countries will will adopt it in the future? Yeah, I, I think it's super cool. I, I I think it's a super cool bit of news. Will more countries accept it? I, I think countries will need to be quite quite brave to do so. And especially if you're looking at the UK, they're trying to create their own digital pound and so forth. So I guess my, you know, whilst I might like to see that, I think realistically countries, most countries will focus rather on creating their own centralized national digital currency over which they've got full control and where they can track everyone's transactions and they've got full data over exactly who's got what and they can probably block those transactions if they want to and you know if you vote the wrong way if you buy the wrong thing if you're seen talking to the wrong person whatever it is that they want to control where they have full control over over your money and, and can block those transactions and yes that's maybe a little bit black mirror but that's already happening in in china and i i, I think countries are aware of, of what's happening in china and they realize that china's got suddenly a lot of data over its citizens and will continue to get more. So they've got to compete. And my, my worry with that is is the whole sort of centralized national digital currencies is A, how much power it gives to, to governments and central banks. And even yep. if it's it's done it, with a, a sort of a good government, with, with good intentions to offer people digital money, because, you know, with digital money, it's less easy to fake, it's less easy to get stolen, it's, it, there are benefits to it. Even if it's brought about by a good government with good intentions, you're only ever one election away from somebody who's totally different and once the technology is there, then that can be, be used. So, sorry, to, to make that, that's making a little bit negative, but I, I, that's my worry with the, the, the central sort of bank digital currency concept. So, I, I think my worry would be that that, that countries wouldn't go down the let's accept bitcoin route i think they'd go down more likely to go down the let's make our own fully controllable digital currency that we have total power over so i i think that would be my worry but i think what they've done in el salvador is is, is totally cool and like i say it just gives a whole new level of, of freedom to, to to people there yeah the central bank digital currency is definitely a dystopian future that you're explaining there it's a uh, worrisome for me as well and you know cbdc's are basically the same as what we have now only the possibility for even more control cuz you know it's it's a fiat money they're able to you know inflate it and create it out of thin air and give it to whoever they want so it's it's just another version of what we have already so hopefully the you know, they don't go down that route and people understand that, you know, these central bank digital currencies are completely anti-Bitcoin. They're anti, they're completely opposite of what Bitcoin stands for. So, yeah. Uh, Literally, literally, literally opposite because it gives worrying levels of of control. Yep. Yep. So, yeah, moving forward, it's uh, really exciting. You know, a lot of companies are starting to adopt Bitcoin and convert their 
fiat reserves into Bitcoin because a lot of these big corporations have a lot of you know fiat money on hand that they use and they mm -hmm. may not need it immediately. So Bitcoin is a good as a good alternative for them to store their value. You know they're they're faced with this, this decision to you know do I hold fiat money that's guaranteed to be devalued year by year. Or do I hold Bitcoin that's guaranteed to have a, a supply cap of 21 million and can't be inflated? So, you know, MicroStrategy, My Michael Saylor from MicroStrategy has acquired billions of dollars worth of Bitcoin. Tesla is on the bandwagon as well and has a good amount of Bitcoin. Do you think uh, this is going to continue on and more companies are going to start uh, holding Bitcoin instead of fiat money uh, as we move yeah. forward? Yeah. I, I, I totally do. I mean, if you if you look at the companies now that have really done it, they're traditionally being quite sort of forward thinking, quite, I mean, especially Tesla, for example, quite willing to take risks. So I, I do definitely think that, that more companies will do that, partly because of their own sort of sense of FOMO. Well, if Tesla and that lot are, are doing it, we can't not do it or we should do that a bit. So I, I, I think partly companies will copy, companies will follow. But then also, you've now got different levels of, of custody. You've now got institutional grade custody and, and security for, for for holding crypto and for storing it and, and, and for making those transactions securely. So, you know, if you look back not that long ago, that that wasn't possible to, to really hold, hold crypto in, in such secure ways. And you've now got all, all sorts of funds and institutions and companies really looking seriously at that so i think it's it's yeah i do i totally think we'll see more of that either as a hedge against different fiat currencies or because of the the potential upside or because they want to copy tesla and the likes of that but also i, I think that the, the process of of doing so and holding crypto you know the the, the practicality is it, there is now institutional grade security for doing so yeah. Yeah, you're right. A lot of this wasn't didn't exist, you know, back in the day. And now, you know, the liquidity, the liquidity is there, you know, they're able to buy up billions of dollars worth. And, you know, the, the price mm. doesn't get changed too much, you know, it kind of remains relatively stable. So they have a lot of options now that, that didn't exist before, for sure. Next, I'd like to talk about the Lightning Network a little bit. Do you know anything mm -hmm. about the Lightning Network? Do you think that that's, that's going to allow Bitcoin to be used as not only a store of value, but also a medium of exchange worldwide? I mean, I'm definitely not the techie, the, the techie person, but yeah, I, I, I do think so. And I, I think what is, yes, and, and sort of a broad answer to that question, what I really like about the crypto ecosystem, you know, I run, I run sort of a community in the UK so you get to meet lots of these people but it's a constant brain drain of of the smartest people moving to work in 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 bitcoin and crypto startups and and people from defense from finance from banking from retail the, the smartest people who have left you know after really really good well-paying positions to sort of bring their expertise and, and brains because they're more excited about what bitcoin's doing about what where, where crypto is going so yeah, yes, I do think that will change things. And I think we'll continue to see more and more and more changes and upgrades and advancements in terms of user experience, in, in terms of sending transactions, in terms of how you can make make payments and so forth. So I, you know, I think that's just going to continue to evolve so that in a couple of years time, payments will be made 
that instead of just sending I don't know, a photo over WhatsApp, you'll be able to send Bitcoin, for example, or, or you'll just be able to tap, you know, tap your phone and, and send Bitcoin quite easily and quite safely. So I think the user experience, a, a, a the sort of the cost of transactions and speed, but I think the user experience is the next thing that will get a real focus on. And how exactly that will look, we'll see. But there's such a brain drain of people what moving to work in the space because they're basically because they're excited by it that it's just evolving so crazy fast. Yeah, yeah, I agree. The user experience definitely needs to improve, and I think it's already improving. You know, technology is changing so quickly. But I recently found out there are some solutions. One wallet that I looked into is called a Moon Wallet. M U M-U-U-N wallet, and they allow for lightning network transactions with Bitcoin. And all you have to do is scan their code or enter their address and hit send. And it sends it basically immediately for free. And it, it allows it in a seamless way where the user doesn't have to know what, what's going on behind the scenes at all. And uh, if they right. don't have a lightning wallet, that's okay. It still works. You know, it's all behind Which the scenes. Which is how it's got to work. Yeah. Exactly. It's got to work. You don't know how email works. I don't know how my laptop works. I don't know how my phone works. I don't know how anything basically works. It's got to be like that. It's got to be pay now, send to Matt, and and done. Yeah, yeah, and we're we're getting there, and it's really cool to see to see the advancements. So, do you do you see a future where Bitcoin and fiat money? coexist or do you think bitcoin has a chance at taking over as as the world reserve currency since it is a uh, hard capped uh, and can't be inflated i i think that would be cool but you've got a lot of power plays at hand that that make these yep. decisions so yeah i can't quite imagine that happening due to politics and 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 decision makers more than any other reason but, you know, happy to be proven wrong, um, happy to watch this space. You know, the, the, the Bitcoin and, and fiat is an interesting question. And I had this conversation recently about the sort of traditional finance and, and, and the DeFi space. And, you know, I, I think where it's going, it's, it's, it's really interesting. I mean, just say, for example, if you mentioned the words Bitcoin or crypto to a mainstream bank a couple of years ago, that they, they'd have basically read it as a swear word and that's not a good thing and they can't be seen associating with that or doing anything with that. And, and didn't really understand it, but it was it was bad in in in, in their eyes. And now, on, on the other hand, you've got banks and payment companies and all the big brands and the retailers and and all the big corporations. If they if they don't already actively have a, a sort of a crypto or Bitcoin research team, they're developing one and they're they're seeing what can they do. Should they be investing in it? Should they be holding it? Should they be accepting Bitcoin for payments? Should they be accepting crypto for donations? You know, they're, they're really having these conversations or they're, they're looking at what they can do together. So, you know, I, I think at, at least some of the trends I'm, I'm seeing, whereas before it, it sort of Bitcoin and crypto was basically treated as a, as a do not touch, that there's now conversations to how can we partner with some of these these startups? How can we work with them? What, what can we do? And also for the the startups in the space, be that the wallets, be that exchanges, whatever that is, be that security platforms, they're quite open also to these partnerships. So I think what, what will be interesting and where the, the space will develop the quickest will be in these partnerships with sort of traditional banking 
with the, 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 the crypto startups, partly because the little crypto startups have more innovation. They've got the brains. They can move super, super fast. That They've got this little lightning sharp focus on where, where things are going, what's happening with payments, and they're making things happen. So I, I think more and more there is a realization from traditional finance that, you know, innovation is happening here. And, and that they'd be they do good to, to partner and, and, and at least to be associated with it. And also for the, the little Bitcoin and crypto startups, there is an awareness that, yes, it might be a traditional bank or a traditional whatever, but they've got a, you know, a large percentage of the marketplace and they've got this infrastructure in place and they've got lots of users. So I, I, I do think that there is definitely much more dialogue happening between traditional finance and and sort of the, the little crypto startups that are, are are soon becoming not little and are growing quite fast and and you know i think that will really progress things much further than it being the the sort of the traditional battle of traditional finance and 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 crypto yeah yeah crypto definitely has a a lot of credibility now compared to before, you know, these big banks used to, you know, talk poorly on crypto and say it's only used for drug dealers and scams and whatnot. Right. And now, now you look at them and they're, you know, offering their customers to invest in Bitcoin and they totally flipped. So yeah. it's kind of cool to see that play out. And it's definitely yeah. gained a lot of credibility over the years for sure. And, and the stats are now that less think the, the stat is that one percent of, of cryptos is using crime or one percent of bitcoin is using crime and, and that's less than the, the percentage for fiat yeah i mean it's just a, another form of money you know there's going to be scams out there there's going to be you know illegal uh, transactions being made that's the that's the nature of money but you can't blame the money you know you have to blame the people so so to attend uh, it out i uh, we haven't really talked much about you and Crypto Curry Club and uh, <laughs> how, what that exactly is and what, what your goal is with that. So can you go a little bit uh, more into that? Yes, yeah, so the, the Crypto Curry Club, at least until lockdown, was was really fun. So it's now the main crypto community in the UK. So I started that and it started off as, as just a, a once a month, get a few really cool people together over over curry. So curry is the national British food. It's the most popular food in the UK. It's it's super popular. It's really good for sharing. Better than British food. And 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 crypto curry, the name kind of worked. So I started it in, in 2018, just as I wanted to meet more people, just to get just to get people together, we booked out an Indian restaurant and invited some people I knew from the space and just invited some of the people that looked really cool in the space. And, and people came and ended up staying about eight hours at the first one, just talking about about crypto, about what they were working on and, and just staying. And it was, you know, it was incredible because I think it was the first time really that you'd had this sort of niche sort of invite only community group of people. We had about 25 people at the first one all together sharing a load of food, having some drinks and just talking about a subject that they all understood. And this was this was just before it was, you know, mainstream understood what, what even Bitcoin was. So it, it's great now. We've got a, a super cool community. We had regular events and, and get togethers with different subjects and different niche themes in, in London and the UK about different 
you know, different subjects related to crypto and blockchain and, and, and Bitcoin and so forth. And and the, the real life events were, were stopped short by, by coronavirus, at least in the UK. We've been in pretty much permanent lockdown since well, about a year and a half now. But we, we've still got a, an online community. We've got a, it's called the Crypto Courier, a weekly newsletter. So just, just sharing the sort of biggest news of, of that week in crypto and blockchain. And we've got an industry publication, Blockchain Industry Review. We've done a bunch of, of webinars and, and get togethers and and hopefully, hopefully one day it will be safe for us to actually get get together in person again and uh, and yeah. just have really cool get togethers with, with food and drinks and cool talks. It sounds really, really cool. And yeah, you know, it is very important to to meet up in, re- in real life, I think. And, you know, meeting up with uh, similarly minded people in the crypto space is really awesome. So, yeah, where can people find more about the Crypto Curry Club and also your book? Where can people find that as well? Yeah, so the website is it's just Crypto Curry Club, so curry like the type of food club dot com. So you can get the the newsletter, the publication, or, or see the events and everything there. And we've got some content on that. The the book, it's Crypto Wars, Fake Deaths, Missing Billions, and Industry Disruption, is available at all good bookstores. It's available at a whole load of different books bookstore chains. It's available on Amazon. It's available directly from the publisher. That's koganpage.com with a, a discount Crypto Wars twenty for twenty percent off. And they they send out the the physical book with the ebook together in a bundle um, for the same price. So yeah, it, it's available at bookstores and on Amazon.